Hello and welcome to Habe Mus Papam, episode 229, Clement VIII. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Habemus Papam. So today's Pope was born Ippolito Aldobrandini on February 24th, 1536. He was the son of a prominent but not very politically popular Florentine lawyer. His dad was forced out of Florence for various reasons and eventually found his way to Rome where he served as a lawyer for the Pope. And in Rome, the family was patronized by Cardinal Alessandro Farnese, the nephew of Pope Paul III, who ensured that young Ippolito studied law in Bologna and then himself began a career in canon law in Rome. Once he began practicing law in Rome, he caught the attention of Pope St. Pius V, who supported him in part because he had a very good reputation for blameless living. If you remember, Pope St. Pius V was originally part of the um, reform movement and also a part of the Inquisition. And so he was always searching out for clerics and for lay people who were walking the walk and, and living the faith fully to help continue this reform movement. And so Pope St. Pius V took a liking to him. And he was likewise patronized by Cardinal Bonelli, who took Ippolito with him as a secretary when he had some difficult negotiations in Spain. Now, after this mission, he returned to Rome and he continued to practice law in the Roman Rota, and he was eventually ordained a priest in 1580. Now, it's not certain why he became a priest. We don't have anything written by him about that. But one source that I rely on a lot, the Italian Encyclopedia of the Popes, which is some of the best modern scholarship, suggests that the one who sparked his vocation could have been St. Philip Neri. He had been going to him for confession for some time, and it seems like that that had had some effect on why he pursued the vocation to the priesthood. Plus, the one who actually ordained him was another one of St. Philip's friends, the Florentine Archbishop Alessandro de' Medici. And this is kind of cool and hopefully not too much of a spoiler, but we're going to talk a lot about Archbishop Alessandro de' Medici next week because he's going to succeed Ippolito as Pope. And this is one of the few times in history, if not the only time in history, when the Pope was ordained to the priesthood by his successor. Now, regardless of how it happened, Ippolito was now Father Aldobrandini, and he was still very close with St. Philip Neri, who influenced him greatly. Now, his life changed again in a couple of years, when in 1585, another friend of St. Philip Neri was elected Pope, Pope Sixtus V. Pope Sixtus was a fan of Father Aldobrandini, and he made him a cardinal in 1586, one of his very first appointments, and he charged him to serve as the nuncio to Poland to help settle a violent conflict between two completing claimants to the Polish crown. He navigated a very difficult situation with aplomb and brought about a settlement beyond the Pope's expectations, elevating him even higher in the Pope's esteem and the esteem of the other cardinals in Rome. When Sixtus V died in 1590, there was a series of short pontificates, as we've heard about over the last couple of weeks. And during that time, Cardinal Aldobrandini's name usually came up, but he was usually dismissed because he wasn't one of the Spanish guys. And we've been seeing for a couple of episodes now that the popes were basically appointed by the Spanish faction, which kept the papacy closely aligned with Spain. And as we've heard in the past episodes, the pope was then opposed to Henry of Navarre in the conflict over the French throne. But by the time of Pope Innocent IX's death in 1591, that conflict between the Huguenot Henry and the Catholic lead supported by Spain was still at a standstill. Now, Innocent IX's death meant that the fourth conclave in a year and a half would open in January of 1592. And like past conclaves, the Spanish would be big players, and they had their man picked out, Cardinal Santorino. But the problem was that Cardinal Santorino was a kind of a jerk. And even though the Spanish and Venetian cardinals liked him, 
enough of the college didn't because he just wasn't that popular. He wasn't that great to get along with, and he couldn't get elected. So after some wrangling, Cardinal Aldobrandini's name was put forward, and reluctantly, the Spanish cardinals agreed to support him. He was elected pope on January 30th, 1592, and he took the name Clement VIII. He was ordained a bishop and shortly after crowned pope. And while most people hadn't picked him to be pope, one person had predicted this outcome, and that was his good friend and confessor, St. Philip Neri. So with this new pope, not necessarily firmly in the Spanish pocket, things are going to change, though not at a super fast pace. The, The first thing to prompt that change, though, was the conversion of Henry of Navarre to Catholicism. On July 25th, 1593, the former Huguenot confessed his sins and was absolved from his excommunication and welcomed back into full communion with the Catholic Church. He then sent a messenger to the Pope to ask for his full approval. And while at first the Pope demurred, he wasn't necessarily going to change things right overnight from the Spanish line, it became pretty clear that he was going to no longer back the Catholic League and the whole resistance to Henry fell apart. Henry was, Henry was crowned King of France and the Pope recognized him as such. And the Spanish were not really that happy and France was restored to a better relationship with the Holy See. Now, it wasn't everything that the Pope wanted. Henry IV published what's called the Edict of Nantes, which gave religious freedom to Huguenots in France, and the Pope was not supportive of that effort. You have to remember that at this time, many states in Europe were considered confessional states, and France was a Catholic confessional country. And religious freedom, while a great thing by our standards, was seen as something which would weaken both the faith and the strength of the country. But overall, France was restored to the faith, Henry's conversion was actually probably more legitimate than a a cynical thing done to gain power, even though there's that famous quote that Paris is worth a mass that Henry said, but he does seem to have actually kind of changed his heart. And the Pope was out of the total domination of Spain, which allowed the Pope to try some other diplomatic maneuvers. If you remember for a while now, Pope St. Pius V had declared Elizabeth I of England as deposed and released the English from her loyalty to her. It backfired, and even English Catholics rallied to the Queen, while the Queen used the decree as an opportunity to persecute Catholic priests in England. The Spanish tried to intervene. Uh, Philip II of Spain had a relationship with uh, the English throne and had failed with the famous failure of the Spanish Armada, but they were always pushing against England, and especially in papal diplomacy. And so long as the popes were more allied with Spain, they weren't going to have a good relationship with England. Now, Queen Elizabeth died in 1603 during Pope Clement's papacy, and the Pope saw this as a new opportunity. He tried to get her successor, James I, to return to Catholicism. And he didn't go along with it, but the Pope at least turned you know, the tensions down by permitting Catholics in England to support their king, even though he was a Protestant. And that goodwill helped lessen persecution of Catholics in England. And the Pope made it very clear that violence should not be used in England to try and return the country to Catholicism. And he even wrote letters to that effect. But some of the English, led by a guy whose name you've probably heard, Guy Fox, tried to do it anyway. They plotted to blow up the Houses of Parliament in 1605. And they were caught, and that led James back to a line of more intense persecution of Catholicism in England. And so England wasn't reconciled to the faith. Now on the non-diplomatic front, or perhaps rather the the non-political front, the Pope also had a lot of diplomatic work to do, and a dispute had arisen between Dominican and Jesuit theologians about predestination and grace. This isn't a strictly theological podcast. This isn't the place to describe all the theological details. Suffice it to say here that the Dominicans emphasize more the working of God's grace, while the Jesuits emphasize more human freedom. There's two different camps, the the Bagnesians, who are more Dominicans, after Domingo Bagnes, a Dominican theologian, and the Molinists, after Father Molina, who was a Jesuit theologian, were on the Jesuit side. 
The debate was getting particularly heated, though, and the Pope didn't want to rush in and just make things worse, so he personally examined again and again the texts in question, and he had a commission approach them as well. He didn't want to just outright condemn the Jesuit position without giving it every opportunity to prove its validity. He was tireless and subtle, and he paid attention to the details, but it was exhausting work trying to bring reconciliation between two conflicting and intransigent sides. Now, one final area of reconciliation attempted during his pontificate is the, an apocryphal story, but it's so good that I have to tell it. Pope Clement was asked to ban coffee as an infidel drink since it came from the Middle East. He apparently showed some do, that same kind of degree of caution, not wishing to rush in and cause things to be worse, and he asked that some coffee be brought to him for judgment. And on drinking his first sip, he turned to the assembled cardinals and declared, this is a Christian drink. Such an active and diplomatic papacy was a marvel for someone who was already advanced in age when he was elected and was actually fairly sickly. But eventually his work did take a toll on him. He suffered a stroke in February of 1605, and he died shortly thereafter on March 3rd, 1605. He was buried in the Basilica of Santa Maria Maggiore, and he was succeeded by the man who had ordained him a priest, Pope Leo XI. We will talk about him next time. Thank you for listening to Habemus Papam. You can find the rest of the Catholic Link podcast at catholiclink.org or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you and God bless you.